You're listening to the Redemption Hill Church podcast from Tallahassee, Florida. For more information, visit our website at rh-church.com. Hey, Pastor Chad here. I'm so glad you've taken the time to listen. We're currently studying verse by verse through the book of Acts. Among other things, we'll see the mission, the persecution, and the expansion of the church. Now, time for this week's message. All right, if you guys have your Bibles, um, go ahead and open them up to Acts chapter 7. Um, Acts chapter 7. And uh, we, if, if you recall from last week, we introduced a, a character, really, I guess two weeks ago, and then we kind of focused in on one of the particular guys. About two weeks ago, we talked about really the first deacons, if you will, some, some guys that were set apart um, to serve. And, and they were given somewhat we could call kind of maybe a, a mundane task, nothing really fancy. Just there's this issue. Um, the church there was trying to care for some of these widows, and there was a particular group of widows, these Hellenist Jews, these Grecian Jews, that just didn't feel like they were getting um, equal opportunity. And so the disciples kind of gathered the church together and said, listen, there's a problem, let's deal with it. Let's pick up some guys and let's help them take care of it. And so we kind of jokingly say, here's our first Meals on Wheels type program. And so these seven guys overlooked this ministry. And in one of the seven uh, that's mentioned there is this guy by the name of Stephen. And really of those seven, we really only read and hear about two of those five Stephen and Philip, and we're going to talk about Philip very shortly in the coming weeks. But, but Stephen takes this, and, and in his description as they're describing Stephen, even going back into chapter 5 or, or chapter 6, it's, it always mentions Stephen being like full of grace and full of faith. And, and so Stephen takes this job, and, and he does it. He does it well. And, and the Holy Spirit just begins to, to use Stephen. And so he's faithful in this Again, somewhat small, maybe a mundane, nothing fancy task, but then God prepares him for bigger and, and better things, and he goes and he, he begins to go around to these other synagogues. And so sometimes in our minds, I think, and if, if, if we, we think back to the Bible days, and we'll read about like the temple. So we talk about Jerusalem, and inside Jerusalem there's this temple, right, that they would all go and worship at. But besides just the temple, you'd have these other places called synagogues. And really, there was a lot of division during the Bible days when it would come to, um, to race and, um, and things. And so that's part of the problem. We talk about these Hebrew Jews, these people that were very the traditional, the hardline Jews, and they would stay primarily inside the temple. But then you had these Grecian, like Hellenist Jews that, that had kind of adopted the Grecian culture, the Greek culture, and the language and things like that. When they would worship primarily in what we'd call synagogues, like other little like house-type churches. And so, anyways, we got this guy, Stephen, who's going around, and he starts delivering meals, and God's using him, and God's giving him this spirit. Um, God's giving him this ability to teach. And, and so he goes from there to teaching and preaching, and he's sharing in the synagogues. And this whole religious guard gets upset and bothered with Stephen. And again, mind you, this is the same group and that we've talked about all throughout the book of Acts. This is 
This is the same group when we talk about the Sanhedrin, when it mentions the high priest. More than likely, this is the same group that was the ones in charge of chasing down Jesus. And that was the same high priest that would cast judgment on Jesus. And, and so these guys still have a burn in their saddle. And, and they don't like Stephen very well. And so, so they kind of use the same tactics. And just like they got people to go and, and make false claims about Jesus, they go out and they hire these people to do the same thing with Stephen. They're making these false claims. And, and um, when we, last week we talked about, about Stephen, that there was these claims that, that he was calling for the destruction of the temple. He was, he was blaspheming. He was talking bad about Moses. He was talking bad about, about God. And so they got the hornet's nest riled up. And um, I was reminded this week of a passage in 1 Peter. And if you can open, we have the, the, the words on the screen if it's easier for you just to read. But in 1 Peter, and I, maybe you jot this in your Bible next to the passage in chapter 7 or just on a piece of paper. But, but 1 Peter chapter 3, and starting in verse 14, says this. But even you should suffer for righteousness' sake, for righteousness sake. You'll be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. Verse 15 says, But in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revel your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. And I don't know if I have verse 17 in there, but it says, For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. And as I read that this week, um, I thought of, of Stephen. Because Stephen's doing exactly what he's supposed to be doing, and he's talking about Jesus, and he's telling people, and he's sharing his faith, and and. and what had spurred these conversations in these synagogues was Stephen realized that these people, these, these, these um, supposed fellow believers were missing the mark, that they didn't understand. And they were worshiping things that they should not be worshiping. And the thing they should be worshiping, they weren't. And so out of deep concern, Stephen's going around and he's, he's, he's telling people this. And the result was him getting in trouble. And so we'll go back to Acts now, Acts chapter 7. And this morning, we're going prob- to cover, I-, I guess, the largest amount of verses that I've ever tried to preach in one setting, and, um, which is hard for me. And so what we're going to try and do, rather, sometimes we'll read all of it, and then we'll just try and break it down. But today we're going to just read some, talk about it, read some, and talk about it. And so let's just start here. The very beginning. So Acts chapter 7, verse 7. I'm going to read 7 through 8. And so the high priest said, are these things so? Again, these accusations that are being tossed at Stephen about the temple, about Moses, about the law and all those things. So the high priest said, are these things so? And Stephen said, brothers and fathers, hear me. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham. When he was in Mesopotamia, before he lived in Haran, and said to him, Go out from your land and from your kindred and go into the land that I will show you. 
And then he went out from the land of the Chaldeans and lived in Haran. And after his father died, God removed him from there into this land in which you are now living. Yet he gave him no inheritance in it, not even a foot's length, but promised to give it to him as a possession to his offspring after him, though he had no child. And God spoke to this effect, that his offspring would be sojourners in a land belonging to others who would enslave them and afflict them for 400 years. But I will judge the nation that they serve, said God. And after that, they shall come out and worship me in this place. And he gave him the covenant of circumcision. And so Abraham became the father of Isaac and circumcised him on the eighth day. And Isaac became the father of Jacob and Jacob of the 12 patriarchs. And so when we read that passage, we think about this message and really almost all of chapter 7 from, from verse 2 all the way through verse 53 that we're going to read today is basically a sermon that Stephen preaches. And really what it is, most of that from, from verse 2 all the way up through verse like 50, 51, Stephen's going to paint this history lesson for these accusers. And so he starts with arguably the best-known character in Hebrew history, Abraham. And Abraham's the father of their nation, the father of Hebrews, of the Hebrew people. And so he says to them, and, and what's, what's interesting is, again, understanding the previous chapter when the attacks were basically, you're attacking our land, you're attacking our law, and you're attacking the temple. And the people of that day would worship those things. And so Stephen, using their own heritage, using their own history, goes back to the very beginning, going back to their forefather. And he points out there, guys, listen, God appeared to Abraham in Mesopotamia, not the Holy Land. And in fact, he paints this picture that says, listen, um, this Holy Land that you think is so holy, the only place that God rests, the only place that God comes and speaks, this area that you think is so amazing and great, our Father really had no land here. See, he didn't own it or possess it. The best thing that Abraham had was a promise that one day his descendants would. And what's kind of neat as he goes through this story of Abraham. In just a few short verses, he shows them that, listen, this great father of ours, and, and, and one of the things I think to, that stood out to me as I was reading this again this week in preparation is, is in that very second verse as he says, the God of glory appeared to our father, Abraham. And all throughout this passage, you'll hear him say, our fathers, or our father, or our race. And so, so this isn't a matter of Stephen looking at these people, pointing fingers and saying, listen, you guys got it all wrong. And they do have it wrong. But Stephen's saying, listen, I'm part of this same family. I'm part of the same heritage. And, and so our father, Abraham, like God comes to him in Mesopotamia, a pagan land known for pagan worship. And he calls Abraham, our father, and we know, like, the command for Abraham was to pack up and to leave his family and go. And Abraham left, but he didn't follow God's commands completely. He left, but he didn't leave his family behind. He, he brought his father with him and his nephew, Lot. And when we read Genesis, we know that 
that Lot caused a lot of issues for Abraham. And Abraham was continually getting a lot out of trouble. But, but understand, as we read this here, even his father, like God says, go. And he leaves, but he can only go so far because he didn't fully, com- didn't fully listen to what God said. And so he had to stop. And for four years, he's waiting. And God doesn't move him again until after Abraham's father dies. And so Stephen's painting this picture and says, listen, like even from the beginning, we've been somewhat half-hearted and we're not fully, completely following. And, and so Abraham didn't do it and he, he finally does it. And there's this cycle that he sets up in this first section of eight verses that we see played out throughout the rest of this message that you'll see these people, our people, are continually rejecting God. And they're finding other things to worship to the point where God tells Abraham, eventually your descendants that will possess this land will be held captive for 400 years because of the way they've rejected us, rejected me, God. And so Stephen starts off in those first seven, eight verses talking and using this main character of of their history, Abraham. He'd be like our George Washington from a national perspective. And then let's go to the next section here, verses 9 through 16, which is another well-known character. So Acts 7, verse 9 says, And the patriarchs, jealous of Joseph, sold him into Egypt. But God was with him and rescued him out of all the afflictions and gave him favor and wisdom before Pharaoh, king of Egypt, who made him ruler over Egypt and over all his household. And now there came a famine throughout all Egypt and Canaan and great affliction and our fathers could not find no food. But when Jacob heard that there was grain in Egypt, he sent out our fathers on their first visit. And the second visit, Joseph made himself known to his brothers. And Joseph's family became known to Pharaoh. And Joseph sent and summoned Jacob, his father, and all his kindred, 75 persons in all. And Jacob went down into Egypt, and he died. He and our fathers. And they were carried back to Shechem and laid in the tomb that Abraham had bought for a sum of silver from the sons of Hamar and Shechem. And so Stephen marches down this historical timeline and goes to Joseph. And we already begin to see how Stephen in this message is building to a crescendo. He's building a connection to Jesus. You see, Joseph in many ways mirrors Jesus in the Old Testament. And Joseph wasn't perfect, but in a lot of ways his life foreshadowed Jesus. When we consider Joseph, or Joseph's born, um, his own family, his own brothers reject him. They're, they're full of jealousy. You guys remember the story? They're full of jealousy. Joseph gets that coat of many colors, and he's bragging about these dreams, so his brothers have enough, and they decide that they're going to um, take care of Joseph. Some of them want to kill him. One of them kind of comes up with this idea, let's be a little bit more graceful, and we'll just sell him into slavery. Um, and so they take him, and they sell him for 20 pieces of silver. And Joseph goes off, ends up in Egypt. Well, they tell the story to their dad that Joseph was, was killed and dead. And, and, and Joseph's in Egypt, and it's not all happiness for Joseph there. We know about him being in prison and all these things, this really tough life that Joseph lives. But God uses those things to prepare him, and it puts him in a place that when famine strikes, 
Joseph has the plan to save Egypt. But it wasn't just to save Egypt. It ultimately was to save the whole surrounding area. And so we remember, as the passage stated, Jacob sends his sons up there. He knows that there's food in Egypt. So they send, he sends his sons up there to try and get some food to bring back home. And, and they go and they stand before Joseph and they don't recognize Joseph, their brother. And again, we see this parallel with Jesus, that Jesus came. He came to his own people, but they didn't even recognize him. Didn't even recognize him. And just like Joseph was sold for 20 pieces of silver, Jesus was sold for 30 pieces of silver by Judas. But the family comes back again the second time. And it was that second time that Joseph reveals himself and the people see, or his brothers see, and they, they know it's their own brother and they, they accept him. And, and we can read later in the New Testament how Jesus will one day return again, his second coming. It'll be at that point that his own people will recognize him. And so there's this connection that, jo- that, that Stephen's making with Joseph. But even in this, we, we see these perils of their own history of these things that joseph's being accused or the things that stephen's being accused of that stephen's turning and saying listen you're accusing me of this but look at what we've done in the past and our own fathers were the ones that had to come and beg for forgiveness to joseph and it was joseph who ultimately offered them the salvation the freedom the the ability to gain the food and then we get to our third character, and really the one in which the people highlighted in their complaints against Stephen, and that's Moses. And so from Acts 17 down to verse 43, we read this account of Moses. And as we read this, you'll notice that Stephen takes the life of Moses, and he divides it into three sections. And it just so happens that each of these three sections of the life of Moses is a 40-year span. The first 40 years of him from birth, basically, and while he lives in Pharaoh's court, the family of Pharaoh. And then when he leaves and, and he goes off um, and flees Egypt and he goes to Midian, and he works in the wilderness, he, he finds a bride and all these things and a family there, and, and ultimately God will call him. That's a 40-year span. And, and then we have the last 40-year span where he receives the call, the, the, the burning bush, And then he goes back and he frees the Egyptians and he wanders in the wilderness for 40 years. And so as we read this, you'll see how Stephen breaks down the life of Moses into these three compartments. And each of these compartments deals with part of these issues. And so let's just read, again, this kind of lengthy passage and find a few nuggets. But as, verse 17, but as the time of the promise drew near, which God had granted to Abraham, the people increased and multiplied in in Egypt until there arose over Egypt another king who did not know Joseph. He dealt with our race and forced our fathers to expose their infants so they would not be kept alive. At this time, Moses was born, and he was beautiful in God's sight, and he was brought up for three months in his father's house. And then he was exposed, and Pharaoh's daughter adopted him and brought him up as her own, and Moses was instructed in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and he was mighty in his words and deeds. So in that first passage, we see how, again, they're in Egypt. They're held captive. And, and, and the Jews there in Egypt had, had gone from, when we read earlier, about 75 people to the point when, when, when Moses is born, there's about 2 million Jews. 
So it's a massive multiplication. And this new Pharaoh, who's now far removed from Joseph, far removed from the days when this Jew came, Joseph, to protect them and gave up this plan. He's far removed from that. And so he becomes fearful of, of this other race here that may rise up. And now there's two million. They, they, may, they could potentially rise up and try and overthrow this Egyptian Pharaoh and his kingdom. And so he comes up with this plan to, to begin to kill off these male children. Verse 23 says, And when he, Moses, was 40 years old, it came into his heart to visit his brothers and the children of Israel. And seeing one of them being wronged, he defended the oppressed man and avenged him by striking down the Egyptian. He supposed that his, brother, his brothers would understand that God was giving him salvation by his hand, but they did not understand. On the following day, he appeared to them as they were quarreling and tried to reconcile them, saying, Men, you are brothers. Why do you wrong each other? But the man who was wronging his neighbor thrust him aside, saying, Who made you a ruler and a judge over us? Do you want to kill me as you killed the Egyptian yesterday? At this retort, Moses fled and became an exile in the land of Midian, where he became the father of two sons. And it's interesting as you consider that, Here's Moses in that transition where he realizes his true heritage. And that first time he goes down there to his own people, the children of Israel, who are slaves. They're in slavery. And Moses appears to them trying to help. And they reject him. They absolutely reject Moses. And so he flees to Midian. Verse 30 says, Now when 40 years had passed, an angel appeared to him in the wilderness of Mount Sinai. In a flame of fire in a bush, when Moses saw it, he was amazed at the sight, and he drew near to look. There came the voice of the Lord. I am the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham and of Isaac and of Jacob. And Moses trembled and did not dare to look. Then the Lord said to him, Take off the sandals from your feet, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. I have surely seen the affliction of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their groaning and I've come down to deliver them and now I come and I will send you to Egypt. Verse 35, this Moses, when they rejected saying, who made you a ruler and a judge? This man God sent as both ruler and redeemer by the hand of the angel who appeared to him in the bush. This man led them out performing wonders and signs in Egypt at the Red Sea and in the wilderness for 40 years. This is the Moses who said to the Israelites, God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. This is the one who was in the congregation in the wilderness with the angel who spoke to him at Mount Sinai. With our fathers, he received living oracles to give to us. Our, father, our fathers refused to obey him, but thrust him aside and in their hearts they turned to Egypt, saying to Aaron, Make us gods who will go before us, as this Moses who led us out from the land of Egypt. We do not know what has become of him. And they made a calf in those days and offered a sacrifice to the idol and were rejoicing in the works of their hands. But God turned away and gave them to worship the hosts of heaven, as is written in the book of the prophets. Did not, or did you bring to me, slain beast and sacrifice. During the 40 years in the wilderness, O house of Israel, verse 43, you 
took up the tent of, of Moloch and the star of our god Rephem, the images you made to worship, and I will send you into exile beyond Babylon. Our fathers have the tent of witnesses in the wilderness, just as he who spoke of Moses directed him to make, according to the pattern that he had seen. Our, father, our fathers in turn brought it in with Joshua when he disposed the nations that God drove out before the fathers. So it wasn't until the days of David who found favor in the sight of God and asked him to find a dwelling place for the God of Jacob. But it was Solomon who built a house for him, yet the Most High does not dwell in houses made by hands, as the prophet says. And so you have this passage of Moses, the one who wrote the law, the one the Pharisees would always use to try and trip up Jesus, the law. The, the ones that they were holding over the heads of the disciples, the one that they were now holding over the head of Stephen. And in Stephen, in his history lesson, goes back and says, listen, our fathers rejected the one that you're claiming. Those same oracles that we're supposed to be following, those same commandments that were revealed to him by these angels, these same things that you're throwing in my face now, our fathers rejected to the point where as they're wandering, as as Moses is in Mount Sinai. As Moses is receiving the Ten Commandments, our people, our fathers, are commanding Aaron, who's left in charge, to go build this statue out of gold, a calf, an idol, for us to start worshiping. Like, that's our heritage. That's what our people did. That's what our fathers did. That's what they've continued to do. That's what they did when, during the days of Abraham. That's what they did during the days of Joseph. That's what they did during the days of Moses. We keep doing this. Our fathers, our race, we keep doing this. And you are worshiping this law. You're worshiping this man, Moses. You're worshiping this building, the temple. You're worshiping all these created things, but you're not worshiping the one who created it. It's interesting, as, again, as Stephen builds this connection to Jesus, as he points to Moses, this great leader, he quotes Moses directly and says, listen, Moses himself said there's a prophet coming, and that prophet was Jesus. And so he's building this picture. He's showing them. Guys, look, and then he gets to this point where there's this conversation where he compares the, the tabernacle and the temple and so during the days of, of Moses, as, they, as the people of the children of Israel get out of Egypt, as they begin to wander in the wilderness, in the desert for 40 years, they construct, upon the leading of God to Moses, this thing called the tabernacle. The tabernacle was something that was not permanent. It moved with them. It was a tent. It was their place of worship. You had this area called the Holy of Holies where, where they believed, where the Holy Spirit, the Shekinah glory, where God would reside. The high priest was the only one allowed to get into that particular area. But it was movable. It moved with them. It wasn't just this one specific spot, and that was the only place that God could dwell. And it's fascinating in that he goes ahead and he quotes uh, verse 49 through 50. He, he quotes from the book of Isaiah. And he reminds the people, and check, he goes like this in verse 49, it says, Heaven is my throne. This is God. Heaven is my throne. The earth is my footstool. What kind of house will you build for me, says the Lord? Or what is the place of my rest? Did not my hand make all these things? So Stephen's saying, guys, how foolish is it of us to think 
that we could build a building that could contain God. Like, how, how foolish are we to think that we can build a building and tell God, you're only allowed to reside here, and that's it. That's it. How foolish is that? And so he's breaking this down, and he's showing them. He's like, guys, listen, your, your, your land, this, this land that you're calling such a holy place, and, and you're saying that this is the only place where God resides. Well, listen, he, he reached Abraham in Mesopotamia. He was with Joseph in Egypt. He was with Moses in Egypt. He was with Moses when he was in Midian. He was with Moses when he wandered in the, holy, or in the, in the wilderness. I mean, Moses never got to go over to the promised land, did he? I mean, the one that they're heralding as the author of all these things, he wasn't even allowed to get in the Holy Land. So that right there should wipe away the, the, the thought of the land. And then, and then the law, as great as the law was, and it was used, and God intended it, God used it for the people. But they're twisting it. And this is what I think is, is awesome. He gets down to finally where... He gets away from the history lesson and he turns to the people in verse 51 and he says, You stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in your hearts and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have now betrayed and murdered and who have received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. And so Stephen turns from his history lesson and he gets personal. And he says, guys, you stiff-necked people, your hearts are so hard. You're worshiping all these things. And the reality is during this time, and, and as, as we read that history lesson, there was this buildup to where they kept talking about, you know, with, with, Mo, with Joseph or with Abraham and Joseph, that they would be held captive. We talked about that. We talked through Daniel, that this, this other nation would come, a very pagan, vile nation would come and capture this children of Israel. But they had turned themselves so far from God. And, and even this illustration where they start talking about the tabernacle and, and the temple that Shekinah glory where, where God would reside, God eventually left because, as I believe it was Joshua would say, that that had turned into a den of thieves. That they had turned, they had brought all that pagan stuff in. They were starting to, to turn to worship of idols in the temple. They were engaging in this awful, awful types of idolatry from physical items and statues to sex and powers of position. And Stephen says, listen, this is what you have done. Every prophet, every person that God has sent to us, you've rejected. When we look at the Old Testament, look at all those prophets that would come. They were almost all beaten. They were all persecuted. Most of them were killed. And they were given a message by God to go to the children of Israel, to get them to repent to get them to stop doing those wicked things and to turn back to God. He continued to send them messengers and they continued to reject them. And Stephen says, listen, you can worship your building. You can worship where you live. You can worship the book you read, although you don't abide by what it says. And it's gotten you nothing. When I read this and consider this, it's hard, but 
It's hard not to consider the world in which we live today. Um, I, I, I would go on record as telling you that I believe the United States of America is the greatest nation in all the world. I believe that. But folks, the United States of America will not get me to heaven. My citizenship here means nothing up there. And I'm fine with us being proud of where we are from, and we ought to be. But sometimes we hang our hats on these types of places and these types of things, some of this heritage as if that's what's going to get us favor with God or get us favor in the next life. Can I let you in on a little secret? God has no grandchildren. You understand that? God has no grandchildren. All he has is children. That's it. See, that's the only way. When Jesus in John 14, 6 says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no one gets to the Father except through me, that's it. Like my kids, Mackenzie, Addison, Reagan, Cash, they don't get a ticket in heaven because I'm a pastor or I have Jesus in my heart. That doesn't work. They don't get to heaven because of what I do in my life. I may have influence and impact on their lives here, but, but that's, that's a decision they have to make. God has no grandchildren only children. See, it's not something that we're given as way of heritage. It has nothing to do with where we're from. We have a lot of people today, quite honestly, I think, that, that worship their church more than their Savior. Folks, I, I believe this. I, I believe that the church is the greatest institution that God has created here on earth. I mean, the church is critical. I believe it's the tool in which he will use to save people. He did it here in Acts. God created the church. It's vital. It's critical. Something we all need to be engaged in and participating in. It's, it was never meant for us to be consumers it was never meant for us to just to come and sit and partake. It was, it was designed and built for us to be contributors, to be part of the body. To, to, God's given us all talents and abilities and spiritual gifts to be used. He didn't design us just to be sponges to soak. Okay? So God's, the church is important, but unfortunately, many times, the church can become the idol. Sometimes it's a church that just thinks they're the only ones doing it right, that they're the only ones that have the right methods, um, that, they're, that they're, the, their worship, whatever it is. They can build this monument that, that ultimately we're not worshiping the God that we claim to serve, but we're worshiping the building that we sit and reside in. I, I, guys, I, I I'll tell you this. We're two years old as a church. In many ways, we've been like the tabernacle. We had to kind of travel around here and there. You know, for a year we set up at Deer Lake Middle School. So we had the trailer, we'd, we'd pack up, we'd set up. All, every Sunday it was tear up, set up, all that kind of stuff. We were like the tabernacle. But now we've built a temple. I think one of the things that we have to be careful of as we continue to grow, that we don't get to the point where we worship Redemption Hill Church. This is a body, this is a family that God is hopefully using. But we're not worshiping that. We're still worshiping the Savior. As we finish up this morning, I just want to make one quick final point. 
one of those recurring themes that Stephen kept pointing out was God has sent messengers and they kept rejecting. I believe this. I believe God still sends messengers. He does it in different ways. Sometimes it may be a church service like today where you're sitting and we're going through the Bible and, and something I may say or something we may read or a song we may sing strikes a chord. Sometimes it might be you know, during your quiet time. You're at home, you know, reading your Bible and, and you're doing your devotions and in the midst of that you see a passage, you, something just grabs a hold of you. It might be a conversation over a cup of coffee with a friend. Maybe a conversation with a spouse. But I know this, I believe God still sends messengers today. How are we responding to those messages? It never fails to amaze me. Guys, the God who created this beautiful world that we live in, the God who created all these animals that roam, the birds that fly. We've, hopefully many of us have had these opportunities to go vacation spots where you're just like, wow. You've maybe seen the Grand Canyon or you've been able to go to a place like Hawaii or you've gone up into the mountains and you're just like, wow. This is so unbelievable. This is so amazing. Like, like it's, I will never forget going to the Grand Canyon. I mean, it looked, it looked fake because it was just so beautiful. It looked like a portrait that somebody just had to paint. And maybe for some of us, it's that first time you hold your child and life takes on this new picture. And while every baby is a baby, when you hold yours, it's the most beautiful thing you've ever held in your life. And you think, wow, it's perfect. It's amazing. Like how could... How could God create something so great? And what amazes me is this, that God, who has done all these things on a regular basis, still sends Chad Clement a message. Sometimes it's, hey, wake up. <laughs> Quit doing or start doing. Be careful of. I've called you to. But God still sends me messages and you messages. How are we going to respond when we receive those messages? Children of Israel rejected and rejected and rejected and ultimately spent 400 years in bondage. God's got a plan for us. He's calling us to do some amazing things, but are we stiff-necked? I pray and hope that as God calls us, we respond and we do. And as God shows us what he wants us to do and as God reveals things to us that we answer and don't do what the children of Israel did. Next week we'll finish this chapter. This morning I led off with that passage from 1 Peter when Peter says to always be ready to give an account. Always be ready to give a defense. Someone asks a question, be prepared. Stephen was asked a question and he was prepared. Peter was saying, listen, even if people don't like it, be ready and be full of grace. Next week, we'll see the people did not like what Stephen had to say and the earthly outcome 
was not good for Stephen, but the heavenly outcome was tremendous. Let's pray. Lord, this morning I pray that you be with, with this. It was a long passage, God, and we jumped through it quickly. God, you, through the mouth of Stephen, painted this amazing portrait of a history of your children of Israel. And God, many of the same things they struggled with, we struggle with. It's so easy for us in our own lives to build idols. And sometimes they're just bad idols. <laughs> it's things that we worship that we ought not worship. And things that can be so far removed from you. Sometimes, God, it's, it's idols that are good. I mean, things that you've given, like the law, you gave the law. It's good. It was meant to be good for the people. It was meant to show the children of Israel their need for a Savior. It was meant to allow them to see that they were not perfect, could not be perfect, would never be perfect. But yet they turned it into this idol that they worshipped. Couldn't even follow it. And sometimes we take good things in our own lives. We can turn our kids into idols. We can take a job, a blessing, something good you gave us, but we could turn that into an idol. Lord, I just ask this morning that you convict us, that you show us maybe areas of our life where you've sent messengers or you sent us messages. And that you just allow us to be tender to that and then respond and do and go. So Holy Spirit, I just ask that you work this morning. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Thank you for taking the time to listen. Our goal at Redemption Hill is to see souls saved and lives changed. If the Holy Spirit spoke to you today and you made a decision, or maybe you have a question or a comment, I would love to hear from you. You can email me at chad, C-H-A-D, at rh-church.com. If you don't have a, a regular church home, we would love for you to consider visiting us. You can go to our website, rh-church.com, or find us on Facebook for directions. Until next time.